0: Welcome to the It's All About Relationships podcast. I'm your host, Justin Bird. This podcast is for people interested in making sustainable, qualitative relationships their objective. I want world peace, and I build world peace one world at a time, beginning with the relationship with self and extending outward to marriage and family, friends, community, and world, So if that's an objective you want to take up, come along.
1: I was thinking that this this quote is really interesting. What paralyzes life is lack of faith. The difficulty lies not in solving problems, but identifying them. Yeah, um, from um, Pierre... Kyle Deschardins,
0: I don't know how to pronounce his name, that's who said that. And uh, I, I put it in with this idea of needs and the resources the needs require to create new life and what stops that exchange. Faith is what gets us through the threshold. Faith is what would stimulate someone in need to become vulnerable, even though there's risk of, there's risk to being vulnerable. Faith is what um, sells someone on taking that risk. Both ways. Both in revealing the need of being vulnerable and in making the sacrifice of resource. So for example, one reason let, let's just say that someone who's a bit of a resource hoarder, um, maybe a wealthy person who doesn't like sharing, and and they, they might say, well, I don't really think that I'm better than people, but there is a scarcity of resources on planet Earth, and I'm not about to give mine up, because what if there's an emergency, what if there's a drought, what if there's a, the market crashes, and so they see the, they see their amateur approach to that threshold of sacrifice, right? They're not sacrificing a lot, they're sort of Sacrificing little, and they're saying, "Oh, well, I'm not. It's not because of a superiority complex. It's because there's a scarcity of resources." Um, that's not true. <laughs> it's it's false. It's it's a false belief. It's a false idea. And faith w- is what prompts somebody to experiment with the new idea that I just proposed, which is that scarcity belief is is an illusion. It's it's a false belief. And if that's the first time someone's hearing that, then they're gonna have to um, experiment with that. Because they haven't been experimenting with the idea that scarcity is an illusion. They've been living and operating their whole life on a specific belief, namely that scarcity is legit. And so you have to accumulate as much as you can and keep it for yourself and for your kids, maybe, and not share because of scarcity because scarcity is real, and that's, ba- that's the basis of their operation. Well, faith is about experimenting with new ideas. Faith is about hearing an alternative idea, maybe that is the antithesis of your old idea that you've been operating on, and experimenting
1: with it. So even those who aren't religious are faithful? I would say anyone who's experimenting
0: with a new idea is exercising faith. Yes. And I will I will concede that there is much about our mortal condition that lends itself to some of these false beliefs. Like the idea of death. I mean, you see a body dying, put in a grave and become dust. You know, you, you think death is real because of that. You acknowledge that there is a Finite amount of land, and you can only grow x number of crops within the you know square area um, of that of that land, and that that number of crops can feed x number of people. You know what I mean? You do the math, and scarcity looks legit, and um, so there is another element of faith that sort of pioneers forward through the appearance of scarcity and um you know people who think that there really is such a thing as like a human that's worth more than another human right like celebrities so many people think celebrities are like the best of what humans offer right look how wealthy they are look how big their houses are look how popular they are And I'm sure it's not, I'm sure it's on both sides, right? Some celebrities fall into that and and their fans fall into that. And it's so easy to to find evidence for um, the superiority complex and the scarcity belief about resources, both of which stifle the exchange between need and resource that creates new life. And faith is what even gives anyone any drive to begin operating on different principles. Just even the notion to uh, to, to navigate life as if there were no death as if there's a resurrection, the impetus to navigate life as if there is abundance of resources for everyone to get everyone's needs met, so that overpopulation is not a fear anymore, or it's certainly not something that you'd want to like ask policymakers to manage right um, to begin navigating life as if what appears to be absolutely True ideas are not true, but that they're false ideas. That that's I think an element of faith. Mm. So I say faith pushes through the thresholds. Faith is required, I think, at both thresholds in the grand design, to stimulate movement, to create new life. And
1: thresholds, you mean marker A, marker B? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where like where you call masculinity, energy, femininity. Energy. To, yeah, to push
0: from the masculine presence across the threshold into the feminine presence, and then from the feminine presence across the same threshold again into the masculine presence. Both of those transition points, um, the, the flow increases through faith. Okay.
1: So the circles in the infinite loop showed that the masculine player, which we know can be a male or a female, is either in a state of providing a solution or resource or being in a state of glory. And the feminine player is either being in a state of need or of providing new life. This seems to suggest an emotional swing of a lot of ups and downs. So you liken it to a seesaw. is that true? Yeah?
0: Do you know anyone who hasn't had emotional swings as they travel through
1: mortality? I I know that a lot of people go through a, emotional swings when they have less knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So um so I I for example, I know someone that doesn't doesn't ever cry at funerals because they know that 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 they'll see them someday. That they so will. they're not operating on this fear of death. No.
0: Cool, but it's, it sounds to me like a preferable way to navigate life. And so I'm hearing you say, yeah. So so yes, the the adoption of true principles, or when one begins to operate based on true ideas rather than all false ideas the experiences of life do there is a sort of stabilization um, and um, a sense of solidarity Um, one begins to feel less like the wave on top of the ocean and more like the water beneath in the you're still the same ocean Um, it's a really nice metaphor for sort of the transition point you, when you transition. Um, I mean, I guess now I'm referring to transitioning in in a more of a religious, spiritual sense when you sort of step through uh, the veil, which which I believe is called rebirth, um, coming through the veil, being reborn, coming through a veil. When you transition that way, I, I guess you're transitioning back into the presence of God you're getting closer to God through a process of conversion or rebirth when that happens um, yeah I think I think that that process is literally the process of exchanging out false beliefs for true beliefs which change the experience one has because we operate based on our beliefs and so the op our daily operation becomes different when we change out negative, or false beliefs for true beliefs. Um, So in that sense, I would say a foundation begins to be laid, or a solidarity, a temperance, a stabilization, that, um, so for example, someone who believes in death and operates differently or navigates funerals differently than your friend might have huge fluctuations of, of Sadness, disappointment, discouragement, depression, despair even. When they think about their friend who died or family member now being non-existent, never going to see him again, and everything that they enjoyed about the presence of that person, they'll never, ever, ever enjoy again. That can easily bring sadness and despair. But that person who holds on to that false belief of death they're going to fluctuate between that level of despair and not really its opposite because that belief is ever present but maybe it's um, distraction from the belief so they might get caught up in some pleasures right they might go party, they might get drunk, they might get involved in in a sexual relationship and for a time they're not thinking about all of the negative feelings and experiences in the body related to the death of that loved one. And so I think there's a certain fluctuation of life, that maybe you were referring to, that co- that is it's present even when we operate on negative beliefs, but the fluctuation is between staring the effects of that false belief in the face, and suffering from it, and then Pretending it's not there and distracting ourselves with other things. The the letting go of false beliefs and adoption of true beliefs, which I would say is the process of rebirth, um, the accumulation of knowledge, um, this has a. There's still vicissitudes of ups, there's still ups and downs. But those ups and downs really, honestly, are more like when those beliefs are challenged, right? Um, When we forget um, what we believe and we are tempted to revert back to old ways of thinking, maybe because of the appearance of things here in mortality. Maybe because we look around and be like, really, really there's no scarcity? I see a lot of people hungry, you know what I mean, I see a lot of people in great need and it sure looks like there's limited resources and so we question I I would say that's more of the vicissitude I would I really believe that once we once we adopt true ideas and never let them go I really do believe that that is the end of suffering and this constant state of joy well joy defined as peace with waves of pleasure yeah
1: So, it's just like the removal of surprise. Maybe not, I don't know about the removal of the effects of false beliefs. So, the effects of false beliefs is why people become sad, people become anxious. I do actually believe that um, suffering comes
0: from false belief. Um, Spiritual suffering. Anguish of spirit. I I, I acknowledge that some bodily suffering can occur through all kinds of things, right? Sickness, um, war, violence against you, um, rape, oppression. Um, Certainly Christ suffered bodily. Where they whipped him with little bits of wood or stone in, the, in the, the leather strips and then um, on the cross, uh, being nailed to the cross. Bodily pain is not, I'm not saying you can avoid bodily pain or bodily negative sensation uh, through the adoption of true beliefs, but spiritually, emotionally, yeah. Um, Christ said my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and um, I think right before the Garden of Gethsemane, It was looking. There was, you know, looking at it. There was this appearance of uh, maybe, uh, maybe my peace and my joy is going to be challenged or lost through this ordeal. Um, And you know, he shied away from it, didn't want it. Asked Father, Heavenly Father, to remove it. It wasn't removed. I don't know that his peace and joy was taken, even during that, even during bodily suffering. Uh, Certainly there are a lot of examples in scripture of people who undergo bodily suffering and still find joy. President Russell M. Nelson recently mentioned this, I think it was before he was the prophet, um, his talk on joy. and He told a story about the saints, uh, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints crossing the plains of America. And en route, there was a way station in the middle of winter. They were all huddled up, you know, 20, 30 or more people huddled up in a little one-room cabin um, with holes in the walls, and it was winter and snowy, and I don't know, I can't remember if they had fire or not, but pretty miserable conditions by all external appearances, and yet they were singing and found joy, and the message was only Mormons can find joy in the midst of these kinds of things. And and yet, Chuck, I would say the ability to maintain that joy throughout all physical conditions is the result of the adoption of true ideas and the operation of your life, uh, the alignment of your life, the, the engineering of your life based on those true ideas. And, and, I, and I'm, it's, it's, I feel such gratitude for every new true idea that I receive from God or through other people. Um, and I would also say the acquisition of true principles can only come to people who are humble and who position themselves as students. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, every man is my superior in some way, in that I learn of him. So the, 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 the best students and the perpetual students are the ones who gather and accumulate these True ideas quickest, and then thus come out of suffering fastest, because they're operating on true ideas sooner than other people, who, for whatever reason, probably to think that they're better than others, just say, first thought pops into my head is the best idea in the room. You know what I mean? These aren't learners, and these people continually stay in suffering and pain because um, they're not they're not masters at exchanging out the false beliefs that are taught us and which are part of our mortal inheritance for true ideas which are a part of our immortal inheritance and attend our rebirth process
1: does that resonate with you does that no do you- it, it, i mean it, it makes a lot of sense it, i was trying to I I know that in in terms of the um, adopting true beliefs, adopting these principles, and and doing that, and um, I I've seen that my life has changed. When I adopt true beliefs, I have less suffering when I'm in a, a state where there would be more suffering. And. What you said is true. When I distract myself from these false beliefs that I keep dormant, <laughs> yeah, good word, dormant. I I just tend to revisit them, and I endure more suffering later on. If I had just dealt with them before, I would have avoided a lot of pain. Yeah, it's um, there's I, there's definitely
0: a sense of urgency to shed false beliefs as quickly as possible and adopt true ideas. At least in me, um, there's a sense of urgency. I, I think for people, it's like humility is kind of an acquired taste. And by humility I'm referring now specifically to one's ability to learn, to let go of false beliefs and adopt true ideas, and to search out true ideas and accumulate them wherever they may be found. That skill is, is, a, is, I'm referring to as humility now, um, it's a feminine principle, and that is an acquired taste, I'll just say. And so, um, I think there's whole masses of people who haven't even tasted it yet, or maybe the first couple times they've tasted it, they're like, ah, it's easier for me to just retain the dormant belief, as, as much pain as it's bringing me, at least. If I tell myself it's a better idea than everyone else's idea, at least there's some kind of satisfaction in it, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so there's a grip on faulty beliefs, even when they continually continue not to serve us well, mm. or our loved ones well. There's some kind of incentive to hang on to it. Um, and, um, but one, but once, you, once you discover the benefits of letting go of false beliefs then that drive to accumulate true ideas grows, and that's the sense of urgency that I was referring to. It's not a sense of urgency in the sense of like, I'm worthless until I get some bit of knowledge that makes me better than or smarter than someone else. It's not like that kind of an urgency where you're trying to escape a sense of inadequacy or a sense of worthlessness. It's a sense of urgency of like, we can do so much more And life can be so much richer if we will just, you know, cross these thresholds faster. Mm. That kind of a sense of urgency. It's more of a, like, excitement, like a playful excitement than a desperate urgency.
1: That makes sense. You, You have to have the mindset for it, though. Or acquire it
0: it can be acquired. It can be. And that's where the experimentation comes in. That's where faith comes in, is to experiment with new ideas. I don't think people really get into the flow of like truth acquisition until they start experimenting with ideas that are different than the ones they were inherit they inherited at birth, or through the process of birth and what their parents taught
1: them and their communities taught them. So Sacrifice and submission seems to be necessary for the creation of relationships either with friends, spouse, or with God. Um, what, What do you feel like submission's role is in overcoming a trial? Submission is positioning
0: for receipt. And to overcome a trial, you need to receive the resources that your needs are requiring in order to move forward with life. So I think that all movement in life, every urge to act, is propelled by a need. Need is the driver for all action. Now, diet, you know. There's divergence in strategies for meeting needs and how to ac- acquire the resources that needs are seeking to sustain life and create new life. To, to build bonds with people and to come out of trial and suffering is a matter of meeting needs. You're needing something, many things, daily. The, the building of effective strategies for meeting needs is the solution to end your suffering, to build best, great relationships, to increase intimacy on all planes of application, and ultimately to build a sustainable, thriving community. And submission is the posturing of the receiver when the exchange occurs, when the resource is sacrificed by some other to you who are in need, whatever you do to receive that resource is submission. So what role does it play? It plays the receiving role in the exchange between giver and receiver that creates new life.
1: And so a lot of people that are submitting, I guess, um,
0: I love the squirmishness that comes with the word submission. It's so. It's such a hot word in feminism and in politics too. I mean, in in the power-over paradigm that pervades our planet, submission is seen as the last place you want to be. It's the slave position, right? It's it's the it's the Position everyone wants to get out of and escape.
1: Well, I think of like the snake that just just ate a, a rat or something like that, and it's it's in the gut already. It's like being digested. And the position the rat is in is the submission
0: position. Yeah, that's what I'm
1: thinking. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't want to submit. I don't want to die, cause I, it's that's the image that's ingrained in my mind. That's fair. But it's false.
0: Uh, There's definitely an aspect of it that's real. Um, uh, At least feels real. So I had a girl send me a a photo once um, of a little mermaid, being (laughs) her tail being chopped off and the prince that's supposed to come rescue her, eating her eating her tail. Um, and I, I think it was kind of like a generic feminist sentiment of, I give and I give and I sacrifice for men and they just consume me and mm. and it hurts and it sucks and I want it to end. And really the only way for it to end is for you to be totally consumed and you don't exist anymore or to prevent someone from consuming you and again I think that's kind of the prime driver of, for most people is to to go about our daily life trying to prevent people from consuming us um, building walls um, trying to navigate a world where At every turn, somebody wants something from us and someone's taking from us, and so we become these dark, little, like, hypersensitive creatures that are like, get away from me, like, don't take from me, don't, everyone's after me, everyone's trying to take from me and consume me. This is where uh, an understanding of the principle of sacrifice changes that. It alleviates that burden, even without removing you from the position. Um, The idea of sacrifice is literally the idea of finding joy in being consumed. Hmm. So as giver of resource, that resource is a part of you. If you write a check, that's money that's coming from your bank account. That bank account is a part of you. If you're a father, it's seed that's literally coming from your body to... Create new life, right? To provide the resource that the human species requires to sustain itself. Mm. And if you are um, an emotional giver or father to new life, of you're giving all these kinds of intangible resources all the time. You're any giver of resource who is meeting a need. The coming together of which creates new life, that giver is being consumed. Because mm. that resource is a part of the giver. And in this, Christ is our perfect prototype.
1: Because we're suffering death, and He's suffering death. Yes, and His body was
0: literally, Catholics believe literally, but certainly metaphorically, broken, symbolized in the breaking of bread, at Eucharist or sacrament, which we as disciples consume. It's the exact same image as the one that this girl sent me of Little Mermaid being knifed and forked up by the prince that's supposed to save her. So we're in this rat position of being consumed and we struggle most of our lives to escape it and yet that's not the final solution that's not the sustainable remedy and it's not that position of being consumed as part of the grand design and there's no escaping the grand design the grand design is a map on which we all find ourselves somewhere and anything that occurs occurs on that map there is nothing that occurs outside of that map and the position of submission is a position that every player passes through at times, it's also the point of sacrifice. And I don't know if I explain this very well in the book. Um, I think I've just added it as a one liner, which is that at the point of masculine sacrifice, one assumes the position of feminine submission. And what that means is uh, visually, I kind of want to use that marker board now. All right, so I'm going to. I'm just going to, I think, illustrate what I mean here. Uh, This is a crude little board, but I think it'll get the job done. So I'm going to draw the grand design, unfolded. So these are the... Um, the points where we cross the threshold in any creative exchange. And uh, this one is sacrifice. Um, And this would be the masculine role player. This would be the feminine role player. And this is submission. Um, So this is the point of parent separation and one player heads off in this direction and one player heads off in this direction. And the creative exchange or moment is here. Now they they look, visually they look separate, but they're the same place and the same moment in time. At the moment the masculine role player sacrifices the resource that the feminine role player needs to continue with life and create new life, for new life to be created, this is the point of exchange. Now, this line indicates Sort of two zones. You have a like a a death zone down here, and you have a life zone up top. And so, need being in a state of need is being in a state of death, and that is the, what the feminine role player. That's where the feminine role player is when that f- feminine role player is in need is here. That's indicated by this part of the creative process. Meanwhile, the resource holder is not in a state of need, but rather they're in a state of possession of resource. That's a state of life, a state of plenty of supply. And when that role player sacrifices that resource, it's gone. It separates from them. They don't have it anymore. They then enter a state of loss. So this is a state of loss, need, death. Here on the bottom half of these two circles in the infinite loop. Mm-hmm. This is a state of possession, supply, life. Here on the top half of the two circles in the infinite loop. Back to your original question about what role does submission play, it plays this role. <laughs> like. It has a place on the map, and everyone who passes through it is experiencing it, and it is part of this formula, and good luck getting rid of it. All you can do is pretend that it's not there, which creates stoppage at this point, which results in damnation and the absence of the creation of new life.
1: That's the only option. Um, and this isn't just life. Like like giving birth or this isn't just like procreation. This is like psychological help. This is... This this is
0: every way that you could define life, including procreation. Procreation fits this model perfectly. In fact, it like is the pinnacle mold of the model. But life, so depressed people aren't alive. I think that's a common way to describe your measure of depression is that you feel dead inside. That's commonly how I described mine. Um, when one feels dead inside, one is not alive inside. And to feel alive inside is a, it's a literal experience that can happen
1: by knowing the process by which new life is created. And this is the same thing with anxiety, right? Not, not feeling alive inside. I would say anxious is more a matter of avoiding
0: the death zone. Mm. Anxiety is more like feeling like you're alive, but really, really, really want, not wanting to feel dead ever. So you're trying to create a scenario where you never pass through the death zone. Oh. So Depression is not- like you're stuck in the death zone. Anxiety is like you're trying to avoid the death zone. Mm. And both create stoppage in the creation of new
1: life they have nothing to do with living,
0: they prevent living.
1: So does that have a relation to do with more people being prescribed, more being diagnosed with anxiety than depression nowadays? Because there's people feeling like they have more.
0: Well certainly in terms of the hierarchy of needs, more and more people's temporal basic needs are being met. Fewer and fewer people are going without shelter, clothes, clean water, and more and more people are getting more and more wealthy. They can buy houses, more and more houses, you know, four-wheelers, toys. And yeah, as the accumulation of in- with indoor plumbing, electricity, all these temporal physical needs are being met so well and so ubiquitously by so many more people that it is much easier for people to, f- to look around and say, well, I've got a good life. I have nothing to complain about. Um, and so anxiety is like trying to do what you can to avoid losing your temporal goods, and, uh, and also to have more than your neighbor. Um, it's to avoid any sense of feeling that you're here in this space of need. And that can come, man, through a variety of ways, comparison. So you can be wealthy and have all your temporal needs met, but if you have a tendency to look at your neighbor and be like, and then you compare what you have to what they have, suddenly, regardless of any change of finances, you're going to feel inferior. You're going to feel in need. Whether that's accurate or an illusion, it still creates an experience in your body that hurts. And, yeah, people are getting prescribed drugs to address that pain in the body. And, and depression is just... I think depression is feeling like you're inferior, that you don't have, that you are of little worth. And you kind of, you're more aware that you're in the state of need. You're not trying to avoid the state of need, but you feel stuck or trapped in the state of need. Mm. You're having a hard time getting out of the state of need. Like you're, what you need is not being met. Correct. New life is not being created in depressed people. Mm. You're not enjoying the, the rich experience of creating new life daily or it, even yearly. <laughs> even if it's the same things that other people are doing. Even if you, yeah, even if someone videoed your walk through life and from the video thought, man, they live a great life, you could still be depressed because you're not seeing that. You're not, you're not perceiving your daily walk that way. Even if others were to perceive your daily walk as being one of An abundant creation of new experience in life so this zone of of need of of loss of death submission is both acknowledging that we have been or are in that place and positioning ourselves in such a way to escape it i would say humility is recognizing this condition of need, and then acting, doing what is required, to escape that condition, which only occurs by the receipt of resource mm-hmm. from another. So escape from the condition of need or death is always in conjunction with an other. It doesn't happen in isolation. The creation of new, new life does not happen in isolation. And independence and freedom doesn't happen in isolation. This is really the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is the idea that when um, the world and God separated here at the fall, so this is the fall, see we're falling, of Adam and Eve, and this condition would represent, in this context, um, spiritual and physical death and to the degree that we see that and acknowledge it and recognize it we then begin clamoring to escape that condition. And How do we escape it? By the God who has the solution to every need and the resource to cure every condition of the fall, sacrifices at the same time or moment that the ones in need receive that sacrifice and in that exchange new life is created that's what Christians are referring to when they say I'm born again is a new life that's the result of Jesus Christ's atoning sacrifice and accepting it accepting it so submission is positioning for receipt People don't position themselves for receipt who don't think they need it to receive anything. And I would say that's the essence of humility, is acknowledging the the existence of of need. For a person to say, I'm in a condition of great need. And I am requiring help, a savior, um, some other party to help me out of this condition. You know, people think of that position as being the rat in the throat of the snake, and even if... So what I would say is that's the way it is. That's the condition in which we are, is in a state of need, a state of fallenness, a state of death, as humans on Earth because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And, that, and what that means, like how far-reaching that fall is, it's as poorly grasped as is the solution. We are as infantile in our grasp and understanding of the ramifications of the fall as we are in our ramifications of the solution and salvation from that fall. So we keep, we keep clamoring, and as Christians, we keep talking about Christ and making him the focal point. We talk about Christ and the atonement, and the atonement, and the atonement. And, you know, and you know, we'll admit that we don't even really know what the atonement is half the time. Um, more than half the time is probably closer to accurate. But I would say one way out of that and one way, the fastest way to gain a, a, a bigger grasp on what the atonement means is to start looking around at the desperate need of self and other. Take the time to look inside and take that inward journey and be honest about how deep your needs go. And when individuals start doing that, especially in critical numbers, only then can the solution to those needs be meaningful. And that goes back to that quote you read earlier by Tyle Chardin, which is that the real problem isn't in finding solutions, it's in identifying needs. Grasping the depth of the fall in myself as an individual and in the way I relate with my family and friends and community. Being honest about the depth of that need is very painful and a lot of people don't want to put eyes on it. But to the degree we fail to look at it and put eyes on it, to that same degree, we'll never understand the atonement because the atonement exists to solve that need. So there's a certain amount of, of, of bravery, of willingness to go into the pain of need and observe it and acknowledge it as it is. That is required before any solution to it can ever emerge. The atonement, where, where does it not help? The atonement doesn't help whenever you want to throw someone in a garbage can. Whenever you want to separate yourself from another and get rid of them, the atonement isn't helpful for that. Everything other than that process requires atonement, requires Christ's sacrifice. Because that is those are the only things that are ever happening. There's a separation and then there's a reunification. And the reunification is the process of creation. So the fall of Adam and Eve created conditions on earth to where need is universal, need is ubiquitous. Need is basically just about everywhere because we fell from a state of unity, from a place where needs were met sustainably all the time, and where everyone saw themselves as equals and one with each other and there was a power sharing only. Now we're in conditions where there's power over only and the constant pursuit is further separation. You know I include a poem in the book that, called, titled Enmity that talks about how this process of separation occurs and it occurs at all levels and all scales. That the east part of the world pits itself against the west part of the world and the men in the East think of themselves as better than the women in the East and then the rich women think of themselves as better than the poor women in the East and then the adults as better than the children and and so like you can just divide you divide the world in half and then you divide half that world in half and you can just continually divide socially the bonds from macro to micro All the way down the spectrum because of enmity and the desire to feel better than somebody around you. That's the driver of enmity and that is pride and that is the mechanism for division and dissolution and violence of social bonds and community. Christ represents the opposite of that process the reunification, the overcoming of enmity, the overcoming of pride, the rebuilding of bonds, the putting back together of everything that fell apart from the fall. And his great sacrifice can solve all the effects of the fall for every willing participant, and a participant is defined as willing by their submission to the will of God in every, that's just in the gospel, of course the gospel includes marriage, family, procreation, community, business, but to break it down into a smaller subset of that process, you could say that um, an isolated individual in need, rather than the collective planet in need from the fall of Adam and Eve, but if you just are looking at One individual with an isolated need, they're going to need to acknowledge the need and see that they are in need and then reveal that need in courageous vulnerability and then that's also for them to escape that place they're gonna it's gonna require a counterparty who sees that need and has the ability to meet that need, is willing to sacrifice the resource for that need, and if that occurs New life will be created here, and escape from this position will then ensue with new life, right? So what's, what role does submission play in the creation of social bonds? Anytime two people want to connect and one of them has a need, submission will be required to save that person from that need and create a a bit of new life between them, a new bond. To learn more about a single universal pattern to all relationships, order my book, The Grand Design, available on Amazon. Click the link below. For regular support with your relationship goals, consider joining me in my monthly online group coaching program where you can ask questions and join in live calls by visiting the link below. Visit RelationshipConsultingServices.com. Es wird doch alles wieder gut, nur ein kleines bisschen mut. I'm Justin Bird, wishing you the very best with your relationship sustainability.